Again, we want to welcome those that are streaming in with us today. I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 25. Would you find your way there? Psalm number 25. For you that are guests with us today, we saw, we're on week number nine in this series of Lyrics for Life. The Psalms offer some of the great encouragement to us as believers. And today we come to Psalm 25. I ask you to find that uh, in your Bibles. In just a moment, we're going to begin uh, reading at least those first seven or eight verses together. Psalm 25, beginning in verse number one. Let's read God's word together. To you, Lord, I lift up my soul. My God, in you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Do not let my enemies rejoice over me. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Those who deal treacherously without cause will be ashamed. Make me know your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithfulness, for they have been from the old, and do not remember the sins of my youth or my wrongdoings. Remember me according to your faithfulness for your goodness' sake, Lord. One of the challenges each week in teaching and proclaiming God's word is to try to find the best way to communicate certain important principles where they really resonate and connect with you. And in doing so, I just want you to know behind the scenes, it has been a struggle for me. God has led me to Psalm 25, but how can I most effectively articulate one of the great Psalms in all the Bible. This may be one of the first times you've ever looked at Psalm 25. Maybe it is one of your favorites. It's on your radar very, very uh, in, in, in repetitive fashion. Or maybe you've just glanced at it once or twice somewhere in the middle. But I just jotted down some couplets of words. As you go through these 22 verses, there are statements that are made and then there are statements that come along that are connected to that that would be as simple as I can state it, an offset. Let me give you an example of that. Lub-dub, lub-dub, lub-dub. I didn't even know what that meant until my daughter came home as who's going through nurse practitioner school of all things with a stethoscope. And she said, this is one of the early things you learn in medical school as you put that scope to someone's heart, that's how they teach you in med school. Hey, lub-dub, 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 and that's the sound. And with every lub, you better hope you hear a dub. Maybe this would be a little deeper. Ding dong. Ding seems to always follow with a dong. Or maybe this would even take you to the depths. Tick, tock. 
tick tock. And I can see some of you are already squirming and saying, well, this is too simplistic. So let me take you a little bit deeper. How about ebb and flow? Ebb and flow. Every, what is it? 12, minute, 12, 12 hours, 25, 26 minutes. The tide goes out as far as it's going to go. And then it what? Turns around and it comes back. The ebb and the flow. Or we could even connect that to the moon. That tide, thinking about the waxes and it wanes. Whether it's crescent moon, quarter moon, half moon. And I just share that with you today because as we talk about some important principles, that's what you're gonna see over and over and over again in this psalm. You see, all of those things, lub-dub, tick-tock, ding-dong, ebb and flow, wax and wanes, it doesn't matter what it is. When we hear one of them, there is what? A sense of anticipation in our hearts that we're about to hear what? The couplet, the back end, the connector. And so as we begin to impart God's word today, I want you to understand that when we come on some of these prompts, we can go ahead and be anticipating not just to the lub, but to the dub. And I think that's what so endears our hearts when we come to passages like the Psalms. It endears us to these words because it's so transparent and so honest because you and I realize that even though there may not be much space, there is some space in between those two connectors. And often when something goes one way before it reverses back to the back end of that couplet in that space, we know so often that space is called life. And so today, I just wanna take a few moments. We won't have time to look at all of these principles, but just a couple of great principles today to help get us started in one of the great Psalms in all the Bible. If you just look back at, this, at, at, at your text, you see some of these lubs and dubs, if you will, some of these dings and dongs, if you will. Right off the bat, I lift my soul in verse number one. But immediately we hear the dub of that in verse two, let not me be ashamed. We see in verse three, the lub. Indeed, none of these who wait for you. It's, Lord, I'm waiting on you. And then immediately he turns around and he shares, but my enemies, there's enemies, there's those that are trying to cause my shame to be exposed. A little later, he talks about in verse six and seven, the remembering. Remember me, Lord, love. And then he comes right in behind that and says, but don't remember my past sins, the dub. And this goes on and on. Lord, guide me, he asks. And then he comes right back with the dub and says, but I am so lonely, I don't even know where I am. I'm just lonely. And I think that's what we, one of the things that connects us in such a beautiful way with the book of Psalms is it's an honest record of the soul of people of faith. We know, don't we, that some days as we live them are days that are bright and others are just so heavy with clouds. Some days we would say, man, what a sweet day. Man, it just couldn't have been a better day. 
And other times we look back at the day and say, man, that day was nothing but heartache and bitterness. Some days we get up and it's, everything's going right. The wind's at our back. Life seems to be downhill. And other days we get up and that stinging wind in our face and the resistance, everything seems to go in the opposite direction. So what are some clues? What are some incredible principles that we can apply to our life that the psalmist writes out of and teaches us and places in our heart through the inspiration of scripture, what can we take with us on this day? Let's look just for a moment back at verse number one at this first love dub, if you will, this first tick-tock, if you will, this first ding-dong, if you will. He says in verse number one, to you, Lord, I lift up my soul. Now, immediately we recognize that the psalmist in this particular case, David understands that he has a soul and that's so important. He understands that there's an I inside the I and there's a me inside the me and there's a you inside the you. I don't know where you watch each year. One of the things that's been fascinating to me about the last 20 or 30 years, there's a website you can go to and you can look at the actual value of a human body. Now, not organ donorship and all that, but when all the chemical breakdown of our bodies are sold away, how much are we really worth in terms of the body itself? And by the way, 2020 records that we had great inflation. Our bodies are now worth a whopping $211 in chemicals. You want to hear just a smidging of that? $14.60 goes to oxygen in our bodies. $3.14, wow, wow, goes to the nitrogen in our body. $6 and, and some change. Well, we could go on and on. Collagen and different elements and chemicals in our body. But you and I both know, don't we, that we're worth a lot more than a couple hundred bucks. Because we have what? A soul. And that soul is so very valuable. Did you notice how the psalmist did this in verse number one? He says, I lift my soul. Now that lifting of the soul is not anything new in the book, throughout the whole book of Psalms, is it? We, we remember the incredible words, why are you cast down within me, O my soul? In probably the most well-known of all Psalms, Psalm 23, you restoreth my soul. And this lifting principle is not anything new. Psalm 28, I lift my hands to you. Psalm 123, I lift my eyes to you. It's as if the psalmist is kind of being a soul surgeon here as he says, I lift it to you because it needs to be filled again, Lord. I lift my soul because it's empty. Are you empty today? One of the things that I'm often criticized about is transparency about givers and takers. And this is one of those things I don't care if I'm really criticized about because it's so true in life. There's two categories of people in life. They're givers, there's takers. And I don't care who you are, if you have too many takers around you in your life, your whole soul will be diminished. There'll be nothing left. If you have simple principle in humanity, if you have too much outflow and enough inflow, eventually your needle will register E. And so it's important that we have around us takers 
and givers. So many of you in our congregation are givers. You encourage, you put back, you bring into relationships these moments that you lift people's spirits. What an incredible help. But you know as well as I that the soul can diminish, it can decline, it can be demolished. And so it's important that we understand the love here is the positive he's bringing here is I just lift my soul to you because Lord, you and you alone can fill the soul. My daughter, she's always got some kind of medical thing going on. So the other day, just to put me in my place, which she likes to do very often, she says, you know, do you know the most extensive, most difficult surgery that goes on on planet Earth? And I said, no, Amber, I don't. And she said, well, since you don't know, let me see if I can help you, Dad. And I said, yeah, Amber, what is the most extensive, difficult surgery? I mean, I was really giving it to her, and she said, a face transplant. And I said, well, are you telling me that because you're suggesting that I need a face transplant? And she said, well, it wouldn't hurt. <laughs> but she began to tell me about, that. It really, what did that start about 19, 18, 19 years ago in Boston? You know, medical, the whole medical science area is fascinating. But there's one thing it can never do. It can never replenish your soul. Only God can do that. And so right off the bat, the psalmist just brings us to an understanding, love, love, love. I just lift up my soul. But the dub, look at what he says in verse number two. There's the flip side of that. He says, of all things, here I am, Lord. I'm lifting up my soul to you. And, and God, I trust you. But look in verse two. But let not me be ashamed and not let your enemies or let my enemies rejoice over me. The psalmist says, Lord, I bring my soul to you. Love, but dub, I've got some real haters out there. I've got some people that just don't care for me. Obviously, when you look through this psalm, that was a big deal to him. I mean, look over in verse 15. He says, my eyes are continually toward the Lord, for he will rescue my feet from the net. These enemies evidently are trying to trap him. Look down at verse 19. Big deal to the psalmist. Look at my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with violent hatred. And the interesting thing here is these haters, if you will, these enemies, they were trying to publicly, evidently, humiliate the psalmist. And so the psalmist with this love-dub concept says, hey, Lord, I bring my soul to be filled, but I want you to know that I've got this issue, the dub of my life. And again, that's where life is slived between the love and the dub. And he says, I've got these challenges. And we say, well, well, why would they be doing that? Look in verse number 11. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive me my wrongdoing. Now look at this phrase, for it is great. Evidently, the psalmist had really slipped. 
He had left a track record. I guess in today's modern time, it would be uh, the enemies walking around with their smartphones at our weakest moment trying to film everything so they could post that so that everyone would really know what kind of person we really were. But if you didn't know it, you wouldn't recognize that there's something really much more profound here with this enemy concept that is going on. Really what he's saying there in verse number two, look at that last phrase again, do not let my enemies rejoice over me. Really what he's saying there is, hey, God, what I desire is that unbelievers not come to the point where they don't think you were there for me, that you did not come through for me. Don't let my enemies have a victory because they think that, hey, I have a relationship with you and yet my life is marred and messed up in some areas and broken from different time to time in my life. And, and as that's exposed, their take on it will be, and you worship a God? What kind of God is that that would let you down? Look at that man. He goes to Oakland Heights Baptist Church and look at his, look at that lady. She gives a tithe over there of all things. Look, look at that couple right there. They spend all their time listening to Pastor Cook. And look what's happening to their life. And on that dub moment, the psalmist brings to us an incredible thought. Lord, it's not so much that I, my shortcomings are being exposed, but it's what people may perceive of your strength in terms of my weakness. Most of you probably know that maybe the number one, two or three top time, top, top often used illustrations in biblical life is about Horatio Spafford. In fact, when, even when I say that word, some of you like start smiling like, yeah, I know that story because you've heard it so many times. Spafford, attorney, Chicago, 1871, big fire, burned up everything he had, his law office, all his possessions. 1873, about 22 months later, he puts his wife and four daughters on a ship from America heading across to England. They get out in the Atlantic Ocean. It collides with another ship. It goes down in 12 minutes. His four daughters are killed. They drown. His wife, she's saved. And people began to hate on Spafford of all things. What's that guy done? I mean, anybody that has their whole possession, their whole office, everything destroyed, his home, everything destroyed the fire. Well, that's one thing. But now to have four children taken from him like this, what's that man done? And most of us know that he and his wife go back to as close as they can find that same location. And that's where he writes the song, It Is Well. But what's funny about that is very few people know the rest of the story. In history, why don't we tell the whole story? In fact, much of the rest of Spafford's life, people hated on him. Did you know he had another son, little Horatio? God gave him and his wife, after the death of four daughters, a son, he lived just a few years and died of the fever. 
And can you imagine now the clamoring? Even in his own church, people hated on him. And you know, the amazing thing that as I take away from his life is that, you know, I thank God that there's a love dub, but I also thank God that there's a dub love. Now I wanna show you what I mean. Look down in verse number three. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. The psalmist said, we'll just be patient and wait with you, Lord. There'll not be anyone that will be shamed out of that trust of just trusting you. Now, if you don't jot anything else down today, jot this principle down. The best thing that you and I can do with our enemies and those that don't like us and those haters in our life, the best thing we can do with haters is be one of God's waiters. Now write that down, that's important. The psalmist understood the importance of just waiting for the Lord. I guess I've just spoken so long to so many groups, I can kind of get your vibe sometimes. Sometimes I misread you, but not often. And it's like right now I'm just looking at you. I'm not looking at the corners right now. I'm really looking at you. It's like some of you are looking at me like, Pastor Cook, I don't think you know how mean my haters are. And can I just tell you, I know all about some real bad haters. And I can just sense right here now Some of you, maybe in your heart, just suggesting, yeah, but you know, pastor, this waiting thing seems way too passive for me. I mean, in fact, you're ingrained with that. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I just wanna toss out to you that when it comes, especially in the Hebrew language and especially highlighted here throughout the book of the Psalms, waiting is not a passive word. In fact, waiting in the Psalms means active vigilance, keen, watchful, waiting, anticipating God to act, keeping your eye on him. It's a picture of a a sentry, a guard that is watching a very important outpost and guarding the perimeter. It's it's the concept of, of someone that's waiting and watching, a mom of all things on Mother's Day, watching all night long over an extremely sick child. She's watching, she's not passive, she's watching actively. It's a picture of here he is in his Wrangler jeans walking out after 62 straight days in Amarillo, Texas with no rain. He's got a thousand acres and cows and he's walking out there he's watching diligently those incredible storm clouds that are brewing hoping that there's going to be some relief but I see that I still don't have some of you convinced so let me bring it down to a language that we all can understand the psalmist is suggesting here that we have Dog Christianity, not cat Christianity. Now, some of you are really looking at me a little strange now. You understand the dog mentality, don't you? We feed our dogs. We love our dogs. We house our dogs. We vacuum up our dog's hair. We pet our dogs. They're like part of our family. Can I hear a little baby amen out there? 
And then the dog looks at us and the dog thinks, wow, you must be God. And then we have cats. <laughs> we pet our cats. We feed our cats. We love on our cats. We house our cats. And the cat looks at us when we do all this and th says, I must be God. <laughs> That's why the dog always has a master. The cat always expects an entourage. <laughs> we, Becky and I, have two little dogs, Polo and Gracie. At one time, we installed a little camera to kind of peep in on them during the day when we weren't there. We noticed every so often they'd jump up, run to the door and bark. Finally, we began to kind of put it together from the camera. Every little noise, every little activity or motion set them off to come to that door and they waited there with great anticipation. Is Michael coming home? Is Becky home? At night, at nine o'clock, they're ready to go to bed. They start looking at us with bedtime eyes, waiting for us to get up and take that first step and to utter those words to them. Are you ready? It's time to go to bed now. Here they go. Now I know some of you are looking at your pastor saying, you'd let dogs up in your bed? But if we surveyed Baptist culture, <laughs> well, let's leave it there for the moment, can we? principle. The best thing to do with haters is be one of God's waiters. Let God deal with that. It's almost impossible. It is impossible for us to corral those that are opposed or enemies or haters in our life. Go back to verse number 15. I mentioned that incredible verse to you a moment ago. This was on his heart. He says, my eyes are continually toward the Lord. Did you see that? You see that incredible statement? It, it, it has a big difference. It, it's a difference maker now for us, isn't it? My eyes are on the Lord for he will rescue my feet from the net. The psalmist is reminding us that, hey, this, this, I mean, this complication of enemies in our life gets so dangerous and so perilous at times, we're, we're scared to even take a step. Is that a leaf or is, or is that a net? We can't quite see through life's light. And, or, or is that a stick or is that a trigger to the trap? What is that exactly? And you and I have got to understand something. We cannot keep a close enough watch on our enemies. You can never keep a good enough watch on them. Jot down another principle. The principle that we take from the psalmist here is, the psalmist says in verse 15, I'm going to keep my eyes on you, God, as you keep an eye on my enemies. Boy, that's an important thing to take with us. God, I'm gonna be watching you all the time because I'm gonna trust you to watch them. What an incredible statement. Verse 19 again says, look at, their, at my enemies for they are many and they hate me with violent hatred. Does East Texas have something called cottonwood trees? I, I haven't seen many cottonwood trees here. When I was in New Mexico, uh, my, our first spring there, incredible thing, 
we thought, hey, it looks, looks like it's snowing. But all along the Rio Grande River, the Bosque, there were just hundreds of cottonwood trees. And cottonwood trees are little, little uh, they look just like cotton balls but they're lighter and they're fluffier and they're loaded with all kinds of seeds. Tumbleweeds are too, but that's another sermon, okay? But that cottonweed seed, if you've ever tried to reach up and they blow around in the air and it's everywhere, it's like, man, it looks like it's snowing. If you ever try to reach up and grab one of those, as you grab it, it just completely diminishes and just kind of starts dissolving and all of a sudden the little seeds just go everywhere. And that's exactly what happens with our enemies. You and I are not equipped to corral them and to watch them. You know what's an amazing thing to me about enemies? God just always takes care of that. Sometimes he takes them completely out of the picture. Sometimes they just grow so old they're too tired to hate anymore. And sometimes God uses their hatred to create love for you from others in that direction. But we always got to pray for our enemies and let God watch them. That's not for us. Lub dub. You see, there's nine of these. So if that took 21 minutes, we could be here. We could be through at three o'clock if we got through the entire chapter today. Does that excite you? Look in verse 11 and we'll finish. You may not recognize this, but in the Hebrew language, this is one of the psalm sets and we're learning this in our more midweek study with the longest chapter in the Bible that we have bitten off to study. This is one of the acrostic psalms. A different letter of the Hebrew language starts each one of these verses and sections But when you come to verse number 11, it's the pivot point of these 22 verses right in the middle. Verse number 11 says says this, for the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my wrongdoing, for it is great. Lub, dub. There's the back end, the dub. There it is again, Lord, My wrongdoing, man, it's great. It's big, it's it's huge. But the first part of that verse, for the sake of your name, Lord, would you forgive it? Wow. You know, in the Hebrew language there, The language suggests twistedness widespread. American standard says it's great, it's 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 sprawling, it's it's pretty massive, it's pretty large. It would be like if uh, for you to have those cameras on your vehicle. One of the first vehicles I've ever owned, I have cameras on it now. When I back up, I see why people don't turn and look over their back shoulder when they look. You always look backward. But I see many of you backing up using your cameras. Don't trust your cameras because they have what? Blind spots. That's what we preached for years. But now I have a 360 degree view all the way around my truck. It doesn't matter if it's left front bumper, right front bumper. 
It doesn't matter where it is. I can see everything from the back portion from my front bumper back. I can see a sky view from the top of everything around me. Can you imagine if we had that installed in our life in terms of a spiritual camera? Every sin would come up on the screen. There it is. We've done this. We've done that. You see this over here. You see that. And that's almost apparently what the psalmist is feeling like. My, my, I mean, I mean, it's, it's tough. Looking back in verse seven, do not remember the sins of my youth or my wrongdoings, but remember me or remember me according to your faithfulness and your goodness sake, Lord. The lub and the dub. Lord, would you just remember me? And would you be willing to forget those transgressions? Would you forgive those and love me in spite of them? Man, it's a big ask, isn't it? If you look carefully in your Bible, verse number six is probably one of the sweetest verses in all of God's word. I want you to look at it and we close here. Remember, Lord, your compassion and your faithfulness, for they have been from of old. Lord, when it comes to my sin, Lord, have you read your biography lately? Lord, do you remember from old who you are historically? So Lord, what I'm gonna ask you to do, the lub and the dub, and that's where I'm living right now between those two, Lord. The psalmist just says, would you consider doing this? I know my life is eaten up with transgression. But because of who you are, would you remember me and not it? Would you remember me and forget and forgive the sins? And we think about this phrase from of old because we know that from old, we know that our God is a covenant God. A covenant God means even though at times when we forget him or transgress against him, out of covenant to us, he will never forget us. Have you ever stopped to think historically how many people have prayed that prayer and that God has forgiven? Adam and Eve, the very first humans. All God told them to do is, hey, enjoy yourself. There's only one thing I would ask that you not do. Just one thing. And that one thing they chose to do. And God, you sacrificed an animal to cover them so that they could be forgiven. And if you could do that for them, Lord, remember me. Have you ever thought back to Abram? later becoming Abraham. I mean, the very man that God called to start a very select nation of his followers to, to build his kingdom. You remember Abraham, Abram gets off down there in Egypt. Pharaoh takes a liking to his wife, Sarah, 
puts her in his harem and Abram begins to lie to God. I mean, or, or, or lie to Pharaoh that, hey, hey, this whole, that's not my wife, that's my sister. But God looked past the transgression, forgave him and brought him back to Bethel, a place of God and a place of worship. You think about people like Rahab. We know what was on Rahab's business card. I mean, here she was, not a Jew, but a Canaanite, a Canaanite, a Gentile person, and madam prostitute. But she had a covenant relationship with God out of her faith. And of all things, God forgave her, and she ends up in Hebrews chapter 11. We think of the writer of this particular psalm, David. I mean, we know who was on David's Facebook page, Bathsheba. I mean, if adultery wasn't enough, how about let's castigate a little murder on top of that? But yet God forgave him. You think about the apostle Paul, the big, bold, brawny one. Evidently bow-legged, huge hands, balding, we're told, historians tell us, filthy mouth that told Jesus over and over, hey, 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 I'll never, I'll never leave you. I am referring to Peter, not Paul. Incredible. But yet on that beach side, God restores him. Can I just suggest to you that Matthew Chapter one and verse 21 really speaks to us in this very moment. When Joseph was so brokenhearted that the woman that he was engaged to, he had had no relations with her, comes up pregnant. And God gives him that incredible statement into his very inner soul. In in that gap between the lub and the dub, God, I'm excited about being the father of your own son, but my wife, my wife-to-be is pregnant. It was in that lubbed-up moment that God says, wait, 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 you be sure of one thing. Don't worry about that. You be sure of one thing. You be sure the birth certificate reads Jesus. Because this son that I am sending will save the sins. He will cover the sins of all of mankind. And I just wonder, isn't that what we're looking for today as a church? By just crying out, God, remember me. I mean, isn't that what makes the gospel such great news? That you and I can say, God, it's for your own name's sake. You see, when we cry out to God and say, God, remember me, you do understand that puts God in a position for his name's sake with his son's own namesake at stake. That's why when someone says, Pastor, I'm just, I understand the psalmist when he says, my transgressions are so great. God could never forgive me. I would suggest to you that nothing is further from the truth. Our God's own namesake, this namesake of Jesus Christ is on the line when you yourself 
Say, God, today would you just remember me? Would you not just focus on that transgression? Would you forgive that? I know that was wrong. That's embarrassing. My enemies are trying to use that against me. I've, I've given that to you, Lord. But what I'm asking now, Lord, is would you remember me? Because I know you're a God from the old. I know the pattern. Have you thought about who you are, God, as we cry out to him? Would you remember me? Would you remember me when, when there's a noise at night and I don't know what it is? Would you remember me? Would you remember me? When I'm lonely, would you remember me then? Would you remember me this week as a family sits in a hospital room painted pale green waiting for that diagnosis? Would you remember me? Would you remember me? when I'm in a distant land or when my friends are gone or when tears fall from my cheeks, will you remember me? And today our takeaway is a resounding yes. He will remember you. But he's waiting for us to cry out to him to say, God, I know this is in my life. But in spite of that, will you remember me? Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, it's these moments in the Psalms, whether it be David or the other psalmists that write, Maybe it's the worship leader out of the temple court that writes in one psalm or maybe it's this church leader that writes in this particular psalm or as we've read today, David writing in this psalm. But Father, once again, just how this resonates in our life with just the lyrics for life. We come to this place challenged, not always making the best decisions, Missteps here, missteps there. Blatant sin here, blatant sin there. But Father, in spite of that, we worship you today knowing that you have the power to forgive those sins, to place them as the deepest of the deepest sea and to give us a fresh and new beginning, not from the the very sacrifice of some animal, but from the very blood sacrifice of your own son. So Father, today I pray that there may be those that would cry out today to say, Lord, would you remember me? In spite of, would you remember me? Father, I just wonder today as we pray and just ask you to search every heart, would there be someone here that is holding on to something today that they just think the transgression is too bad? We remember from last week, all that we try to cover that you uncover. And so Father, we just, on behalf of those individuals, 
ask that they may be willing today, the Holy Spirit would just anoint them and pierce their heart to come to that place today where they would say, oh God, would you, would you just remember me? Father, maybe there are those that are in a tough place in their relationships. Maybe there are some hard feelings and some tensions and there may be those that are working against them. And at times, not being supportive is working against them. So Father, our ability to say, Lord, you'll have to take that because my focus is gonna be on you. I'm gonna worship you and follow you and keep my eyes planted faithfully on you. And so Father, you'll have to watch those things for me because the cotton seeds of life are dispersed in such a way there's, Lord, you'll just have to protect me. And Father, we know it's at that moment when we yield in submission to your authority for our lives that you do your greatest work. So Father, we ask that you would take now these words, plant them in our hearts, use them for your kingdom building. Use them that they might be transformative in our lives. And these things we pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.